What if I do... I'm looking at here. Here we go. Instructions. What you can do in audio or video meeting for Android. Uh, from 2013, what the fuck, Microsoft? <laughs> and it still says, tap the speaker icon to turn the speakerphone there on There isn't off. a speaker icon. And there's no speaker icon. No, there's not. Is there, is there like a, an icon that has like three dots? Yeah, in the lower right, and I hit that. Um, That's how you accidentally took a snapshot before, probably. No, that was some other thing in the other corner. But all that'll let me do is allow video or turn subtitles on or <laughs> set. I can. Oh, hold on. I can send a heart. Let's do that. <laughs> Don't talk. To, there you go. Thank you so much. It's exactly yeah. what I needed today. <laughs> I, I can do that, but I can't turn my fucking speaker on. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, you yeah. might have to unplug your, your headphones. Let me, I don't think so, because it wasn't there before, but I'll try it. Hold on. I'm going to go quiet for a second. Okay. Uh, speaker. You yep. Hello, pod people, and welcome back to another episode of Big Bad Nonsense. I am Sock, and sitting with me here on his mobile phone is Biscuit. Yep, fuck my computer and salutations, my good bitches. (laughs) All right, pod people, if Biscuit sounds different than he usually does today, that's because he's waving a phone around his head. Uh, in order to record this episode because his computer has died. So if anyone wants to send Biscuit a new computer, tweet us at BigBadNonsense on Twitter. Yeah, that would be a fun little surprise. Um, it's not officially dead like Windows opens, but that's about as far as it goes. Like, you tell it to do something, it's like, nah. <laughs> I, I think I asked you before, but you, you didn't give me an exact answer. How old is that computer? Uh, like at least a decade. At least a decade. Okay, so Biscuit's been recording all of the episodes on at least a 10-year-old computer, a computer from the year 2010. All right. I mean, I suppose yeah. I shouldn't complain. I mean, I've been working on a 2012 computer, I think mine is. No, you poor thing. <laughs> Biscuit, you don't have a joke for us today? Uh, I got this here book. Uh, oh, God, the book. The book. Oh, God. I completely forgot that you had that thing. Uh, a number. Oh, yes, it is. Six to 412. Okay, so let's go with uh, 44. All right. 44. This is... It's the start of one. Oh, I think these are blonde jokes, so you know this is going to be fun. Oh, God. Um, of course it would have blonde jokes. Yep. Um... A blonde goes into the drugstore to buy some condoms because her friend told her that she should learn about practicing safe sex. She walks up to the pharmacist and asks, how much for a box of rubbers? They're $6 for a box of three, he replies, plus 60 cents for the tax. Oh, replies the blonde. I always wondered how they kept them on. I don't even get it. Oh, I do. She's thinking like thumbtacks. Oh, that's... That's stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> uh, uh, 
I think this whole book segment's not working out so good. <laughs> I think we should keep doing it. I think we should do it until every joke in that book has been forced upon our listeners, and then you should take that book and you should burn it, is what you should do. Yep. All right, we'll do that. So you guys can look forward to that. I'm just going to be telling you one bomb after another. <laughs> and there's a lot of Okay, so now that Biscuit has tortured us with a terrible joke, let's move on with the show. Yeah, speaking of torture. <laughs> Biscuit, let's open up the mailbag. Oh, cool. We've only got one email this time. So if anyone's looking to email us in the future, that's bigbadnonsense at gmail.com. But today our email is from Frank. And Frank is from, he says, Alberta. So Frank is Canadian. Oh, oh God. <laughs> actually, I don't think Albertans actually speak with that weird accent. Oh, all right then. Sorry. <laughs> two, two, two. Two, 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 two. So uh, what about Frank, though? Okay, so Frank basically says, he says, thank you for uh, making the show. I listened to all of your coronavirus episodes. And just to say back to you, Frank, thanks for listening. We're glad to have you as a listener. He wanted to mention, and I thought this was particularly interesting, that he thinks, you know, Americans are crazy for this reaction to their virus. And he says this, and I quote, it's interesting that all the same people who are complaining about wearing a mask and saying that, you know, we should reopen the country are probably the same people who freaked out about Ebola a few years ago when Trump was running for president. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's about weaponizing the current disaster. It's not about actually fixing everything. So, yeah, uh, that, yeah that's pretty spot on. Right? Yeah, I would say it is. And I think, Frank, you've hit on a very salient point. When it's... Uh, a virus that is manageable and something can be done at the cost of, you know, rich white people's money, nobody wants to do anything about it. But when it's a virus that's affecting, you know, a bunch of black people in Africa, people lose their fucking minds. Yeah, it's weird how our actions and our words don't always sync up. And I I mean, I just, I can't put my finger on what that would be, but... (laughs) Yeah, um, a slightly different reaction. I'd say that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Frank, thank you again for writing us an email. Uh, we would love it if more people would write to us. We'll read your emails on the air and then make fun of you. Uh, BigBadNonsense at gmail.com, once again, is the address. Or you could always tweet us at BigBadNonsense on Twitter. And let's move on with the show. And uh, Frank, that was too cogent a point. You probably shouldn't listen to this show. <laughs> Biscuit. What? Presidents who have died in office. Go. Um, hopefully that wiki's gonna get edited real soon. Oh, um, no, 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 no. We don't want Secret Service visiting you. Come get me, you motherfuckers. Yeah. I'm ready. I'll throw this computer at you. Ain't good for anything else. <laughs> okay. Biscuit is not talking about killing the current president. He's just wishing the current no. president wasn't alive. Yeah. 
Yes, I, I did not say I was going to be a part of it. I'm just saying that'd be fine. <laughs> okay, I've seen recent pictures of Trump, though. Uh, he already looks half in the grave at this point now. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're waiting. <laughs> just, just let Okay, okay. So, Biscuit, presidents who have died in office. Grover Cleveland. Uh, no. Uh, Sam Adams. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I know that there's like three of them, but uh, I don't know. Uh, try um, more like seven. Oh, shit. You'd think I'd probably have one of those, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know stuff. <laughs> okay, let me give you a quick list here. So we've got William Henry Harrison, first president to die in office. Abraham Lincoln. I Millard Fillmore. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, which I'm surprised you didn't get. No, I wasn't thinking about it. He didn't die in office. He died at the theater. That's totally different. Okay, but not like in his actual office, but while serving in the office of the president. Yeah, he got like a really bad headache once. <laughs> James A. Garfield. Oh, I'd say Grover. I was close. Uh, William McKinley. Don't even know who that is. Warren G. Harding. Uh, same response. Franklin D. Roosevelt. I, I do know that one. Okay, and one that I'm surprised you didn't know, uh, John F. Kennedy. <laughs> so, I literally forgot about two assassinations of a fucking... <laughs> <laughs> you literally did. You literally, literally you, you really did. One yes. Which is like one of the biggest conspiracy things of all time. <laughs> That is impressive. Okay, but those awesome. those two weren't the only ones who were assassinated. I'm just going to keep fucking digging this grave. Let's go. Okay. Uh, have you ever heard the uh, the, pre the office of the presidency is cursed, and anyone elected in a year ending with zero uh, is going to die in office? Have you ever heard this before? That I have not, no. Because... I, I, I agree with the concept, though. Because all of these presidents that I've just listed to you, they were all ended, they all were elected in a year ending with zero, right? So 1840 for William Henry, Henry Harrison, Abraham Lincoln was elected in 1860, uh, James A. Garfield was elected in 1880. So 1880, 1900, 1920, 1940, 1960, for all of these. There's been this rumor circulating on the internet that, well, I, I mean other places too, that there's some sort of Native American curse on the office of the president and anyone elected in a year ending with zero uh, will die in office. Not necessarily by assassination, so only a few of those were assassinated. Some of them died of natural causes or some other cause or something like that. Like, for example, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he died of some sort of health complication. I mean, I'm pretty sure if the Native Americans could curse us to death, they'd be doing a lot more damage right now because we fucking deserve it. But, um, <laughs> Like, the years that you can be elected president, it's limited to only a couple. So, I mean, that's fun and all, but I'm going to go ahead and be skeptical. You, you should be skeptical, too, because, of course, uh, this also hasn't continued into the modern era. Because Ronald Reagan was elected in 1980, and, of course, Ronald Reagan did not die while he was in office. He died several years later of, uh, I think it was Alzheimer's disease he died of. Yeah, it took far too long, yes. Uh, and, but, 
But we should point out that, of course, there was a major assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. He was shot, and if the bullet had been, you know, a few centimeters in another direction, he would have been dead. Yeah, I mean... Okay, the other obvious one is, of course, George W. Bush, uh, George Bush Jr. He was elected in the year 2000, and, of course, he served his term. He's still alive now. He didn't die in office, obviously. Yeah, I mean, he did 9-11 and got out of there on scathe, so... <laughs> and, of course, whoever's elected as president in the year 2020 probably has nothing to fear because this is probably all bullshit. Nothing to fear because if it's Trump, he's too arrogant to be scared of anything, and if it's Biden, he, like, has the day of the week written on his underwear at this point, so I don't think he's going to be too concerned about conspiracy theories either. Isn't Trump, like, kind of scared of everything, though? Isn't that the thing? No, he's just mad at everything. Uh, Like, anything that disagrees with him is, like, the worst thing in the world. Well, yes, of course, when he's sitting behind his desk surrounded by Secret Service agents. But wasn't there, like, some situation where he was at a campaign rally or something and someone jumped over the barrier and he basically ducked like a, I don't know, a thing that ducks. That was a terrible analogy, but whatever. Ducked like a thing that ducks. Yeah, I well, know. You, you can you rake me over the coals. <laughs> rake me over the coals for that one. That was a terrible analogy. But he, he ducked out of the way very quickly. Yeah, I mean, he is a huge bitch boy. You can tell just by looking at him. But it was more me wanting to make a Biden dementia joke. So, uh Thank you for pushing back on that one. Okay. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the assassination of James A. Garfield, James Abram Garfield, who was the president who was elected in, and I've already closed the sheet with the year. Good job, me. Uh, 1880. That was a wonderful day. I remember it. (laughs) We're not going to talk about James A. Garfield, the person so much as we're going to talk about his assassin because his assassin is just bonkers it's the only way i can describe it well you gotta have a couple of screws loose to want to go try to topple a government yes although his goal didn't seem to be so much to topple government as it was to become ambassador to paris all right so he's a kook (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this guy is pretty kooky. Okay. Do do you learn about uh, James A. Garfield in schools? You could have stopped at do you learn, and my answer would have been no. <laughs> yeah. This is like you're, you're not taught the history of all the American presidents in school? I mean, we probably were at some point. I was pretty stoned for most of that. <laughs> what haven't you been stoned for? <laughs> um, drug tests. <laughs> Okay, then. (laughs) Every now and then I got forced into a couple weeks off, but other than that, (laughs) toki-toki! I'm just imagining all the things that you you have to do throughout your life. It's like, oh, I gotta go get some milk. Well, better be stoned for that. Goddamn right. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to talk about Charles Guiteau. Okay, I trust him. (laughs) All right. So he was born in Illinois and his father was, you know, said to be kind of a very strict, maybe a little bit of an abusive sort of person. His mother died when he was very young. Yeah, that's usually how these guys, how the story starts, isn't it? Yes, it is a very sad childhood story. Okay. So 
When he was a young man, he inherited about a thousand dollars from his grandfather, and he went off to study in Michigan. So a thousand dollars would have been about you know twenty seven, twenty eight thousand dollars in today's money. Uh, and in today's college, that'd be what like half a semester, maybe a few days even. Yeah, like they'll let you look at it. <laughs> So anyway, he goes off to um, Michigan, but he has very poor academic performance, so he doesn't get into university. And he tries to study up, and it doesn't work out for him. He never does eventually get into university. And he goes off to join, now get this, he goes off to join a religious sex commune. Uh, Usually... If it's described as that, it means, like, the leader gets to fuck everybody and the rest of you are just kind of, like, doing free labor. That's, well, (laughs) I don't don't want to say you're being unfair to sex communes, but in this case, actually, no, that's not what it was. This was called the Oneida community. This was a real community in the United States, and they were a polyamorous religious commune. So basically they lived as as this sort of religious commune and love was free to everybody who was part of it, who followed the teachings of John Noyes. And it wasn't exclusive to only the leader can have sex with these women sort of thing. It really was like an open sort of polyamorous uh, sex commune. Oh, so they're riding the bang bus. That's good. Um, I'm glad that you you eased into that because we can't lose our sex commune listeners. That's like two thirds of <laughs> piss them off (laughs) sorry guys okay (laughs) yes it's like heaven forbid we uh, stereotype the polyamorous sex communes uh anyway uh this one really was sort of an open polyamorous community uh it was run on the basis of religion which is you know not something you normally hear with uh polyamorous commune but whatever anyway let them do their thing. So he goes to join this commune. And of course, he wasn't very well received because he was kind of a, a bit of a banana head. All right. So he's not smart. He's awkward as fuck. And he's walking into a big old fuck fest and they're kind of not happening. Yeah. Like despite the whole, po- like, and y- you have to really be trying to be a jerk if a polyamorous community rejects you because polyamory is basically like, hey, we'll fuck anything. Yeah, I mean, you're literally going up to a group of people that'll fuck anything, and they're like, I don't even like being around you. (laughs) That's a real gut punch to the ego right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, he's... support fuck fest, pharma, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Okay, so he is categorically rejected by this... uh, (laughs) What... (laughs) Well, categorically rejected. That's fucking harsh. I like it. <laughs> they disliked him so much that Charles Guiteau was eventually referred to as Charles Get Out. Wow. And that, like, this was back when? Like 1880s or some shit? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so, like, that is a roast back then. Absolutely. So taking his name Charles Guiteau and changing it to Charles Get Out... That's 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 a pretty sick burn by 18, 1800 standards. Yeah, like that's if the equivalent of something that you reply on Twitter now and like a bunch of people say to the original person, delete your account. Yeah. 
Okay, so anyway, he leaves this religious commune for the first time, and he goes on to New Jersey where he starts a newspaper based on the religion that has just rejected him. <laughs> um, it, he has... His uh, plot to success is debatable. Uh, the name of the newspaper was called The Daily Theocrat. It failed horribly. The Daily I'm Dumb and Nobody Wants to Fuck Me. <laughs> so after the failure of his newspaper, which was just basically plagiarized ideas from this religious community, he went back to that religious community. And he's like, you guys won't believe what I did. You're going to love me now. He still wasn't welcome in their polyamorous uh, sex commune. I, what a curveball. <laughs> On uh, what grounds? <laughs> anyway, this resulted in a lot of conflict between him and the community. Uh, eventually, he filed a lawsuit against the community's founder, John Noyes, who I mentioned earlier. He filed a lawsuit against them because... I guess that's how everything got settled then, file a lawsuit. And the lawsuit was so ridiculous that his own father wrote to the court in support of the commune's founder, John Noyce. So he like, you remember recently we talked about that woman that like sued gay people because she was just like, don't like it. He basically did that. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it boils down to. Uh, a fantastic job. Yeah. I like this guy. Everything about him is beautiful. But I mean, on top of that, right, like his father writes an amicus curiae on behalf of the guy he's suing. His own father basically saying, look, my son is crazy. There's nothing wrong here. Yeah. His own dad just wrote like, you know, like I fucked up. I'm sorry. But like. He's going to come in, he's going to do his little thing, like just nod your head for a little bit and then ask him to leave. <laughs> okay, anyway, that was thrown out of court. He then took this opportunity to get deeply into theology. So he published a book called The Truth, which was almost completely plagiarized from all of the work of John Noyce. Uh, so we got a theme here, like original thoughts, not really his thing. Yeah, no, it's either not his thing or if they are, they're completely bananas, as we'll find out later. Yeah, so I've heard. Yeah. All right. Yeah, this, this is how this guy works, right? This is his story. It's like he is kind of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs in a way. Uh, so he publishes this book, which is just ripped directly from the pages of the guy who founded the, the religious sex commune that he wanted to be a part of. Didn't work really well for him. He met his wife while staying at a YMCA in Chicago. He gave him some puss puss. <laughs> out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, there you go. But of course, he was very cruel to his wife. He often frequently beat her. And, I mean, I'm trying so hard to root for this guy, and he's just not letting me do it. Don't bother. There's there's nothing to root for. Everything he does is, uh, like, is bonkers. It's completely bonkers. Yeah. No. All right. Let's anyway. Keep it rolling. There we go. So he, while in Chicago, he decides that he wants to become a lawyer. <laughs> the man that basically sued a group because they were mean to him. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be a lawyer now. Yeah. Uh, All right. Somehow, somehow he managed to pass the bar exam, which confuses me to no end. 
maybe it was a little more lax back then? That, that's sort of what's implied in most of the historical documents I've been able to look up, is that somehow he managed to have a very casual bar exam, or he lucked out and was just barely able to pass it. But it turns out that he didn't really do a whole lot in the regular lawyer era. He only, he only argued one case in court. Uh, so there was that, and I can't find any details because I would love to know what happened there, but I don't think it was a very eventful trial, whatever he did with that. He just walked back in, now he's a lawyer, he's like, all right, so about those guys that were mean to me, though, and the judge was like, you again! <laughs> I don't think it was at all related to those the Oneida community. I think this was something else, but I don't have details on it. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and say he lost. Yeah. Well, maybe. I don't know. I really don't have any details. But it's it's a good assumption that he probably lost whatever case he argued in court. Now, as a lawyer, he didn't do a whole lot of lawyering. As I said, he only argued one case in court. So he spent a lot of his time being a bill collector. So, I mean, he's just doing everything he can to, like be the most loathsome piece of shit that nobody's happy to see. Pretty much, because the, he, not only is he being a bill collector, which is not a very noble profession in the first place, but it seemed that he was either keeping the majority of or all of the bills he was collecting instead of returning them to the people that hired him. So he'd, he'd go get the past due, and then he'd go to who he's working for, and he'd be like, yeah, they don't got it. Yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. Or he would say, this is the amount you've got, and it's just like a tiny fraction of what was owed. Well, scrupulous so far. I like him. <laughs> this made it completely impossible for him uh, because, of course, you know, you build up a reputation as this. If, if your income is based on collecting bills and the people who hire you don't get their bills collected and then find out you're stealing from them, your reputation is going to deteriorate really fast. Um, yes, once you become a known thief, people are hesitant to give you money. Mm -hmm. um, it's It was a mystery back then. It still is now. Nobody knows why. Uh, especially if you're as sloppy at the whole process as Charles Guiteau was. He'd probably just like show up to people employing them with like dollar bills hanging out of his pockets. Like, yeah, I couldn't find him, dude. I don't know. So he and his wife, they moved to New York to basically escape the heat. Uh, his wife then divorced him, or she filed for divorce, and he was happy to grant her this divorce. And what he did to speed up the process, because apparently you need to have, back then you needed to have a good reason for divorce, he hired a prostitute and then brought her to testify in court that he had sex with her so that the divorce would be granted. Uh, not to go full meme here, but weird flex, but okay. <laughs> but it worked, right? Because adultery would be uh, a good reason for a divorce. And if he could just prove that, then like the, div the divorce would happen really quickly. I would have thought him beating the shit out of his wife would be a good enough reason, but... Well, this is the 1800s. Uh Oh, yeah, I mean, we're we're just starting to come to terms with, like, you shouldn't do that. So you're right. Yeah. Like, we still got groups on the internet that are like, yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> he moves to New York. He splits up with, with his wife by getting a prostitute to testify on her behalf, which is a strange thing to do. But I guess he really wanted the divorce. 
And of course, this caused even more problems for him because his wife had a bit more money than he did with all his scams, and now he doesn't have her for support. That's a, another very tactful choice. <laughs> This caused him to frequently move around because creditors were always on the lookout for him, like people he owed money to. He would frequently go and stay in hotels and then skip out on the bill before he had to pay it uh, in order to, like, I guess, sleep somewhere warm. So basically everyone is looking for him. That sounds like fun, not stressful times. I wish we could still do that, where he could just go to a hotel and then dip be like, fuck you. But... <laughs> They're kind of wise to that at this point. Yeah, I guess everywhere you go, you have to like at least show them a credit card of some kind. Yeah, you gotta. I mean, if they'll accept cash, do not stay there. <laughs> Eventually, it got so bad that some of his creditors were going and looking for his brother, his brother John Guiteau, and they were starting to harass him about his debts. And so John basically wrote him a letter saying, hey, listen up, you should probably handle your debts, this is causing problems for the family. And he basically wrote back and said, here's $7, stick it up your bunghole. <laughs> well, I mean, $7 back then, that's that's a lot of money. Okay, and I was... I squared them up with everyone. <laughs> uh, that is a direct quote as well. He did tell his brother to stick it up his bunghole. He said bunghole? Yes. Let me read the letter to which he wrote his, uh, which he wrote to his brother. Okay? Fine $7 enclosed. Stick it up your bunghole and wipe your nose on it, and that will remind you of the estimation in which you are held by Charles J. Guiteau. Oh, God, he's such a douchebag. <laughs> Like, this guy wishes that vape pens existed back when he was around, because he would so be one of those. <laughs> okay, his relationship with his brother soured, of course, uh, so he did eventually go to... Why? <laughs> yeah, I wonder, right? I wonder. Uh, he went to live with his sister, Frances. And she was a looker. <laughs> This didn't last very long because after a while he tried to kill her with an axe. <laughs> I mean, that does tend to upset roommates. I remember one time. <laughs> one time that what? <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about, sir. This episode of Big Bad Nonsense is brought to you by... Dildo with a bunch of weird shit. People recommended to her that she have her brother institutionalized because at this point it's apparent that he is crazy. Uh, but before she could act, of course, he took off again. Yeah, I mean, once you try to kill somebody with an axe, that, that really kind of damages your rep. Like, people remember that shit. Oddly enough, though, he never you know, went to prison or was arrested for this axe attack. Well, oh, you're talking about a time that if you try to kill a woman with an axe, the cops are like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, that's probably, yeah, okay. Sad, but true. <laughs> it's not exaggerated as much as it should be. Mm. So, in order to make money, so he's going basically from place to place, being a bit of a grifter. He 
seemed to think of himself as like a preacher, like a theologian preacher sort of thing. And he would basically go around with credentials that he had forged uh, and convince people to book him for speaking events about whatever. Uh, usually something to do with a religious nature. And, of course, he was not a good speaker, and he couldn't write speeches, so these usually ended up with very hilarious results. Yeah, I mean, if you're a public speaker and you can't write and you can't talk, um, that's going to come up. Yeah, I'd like to read this uh, from a newspaper article about one of his incoherent religious lectures. So this is a review. Is there a hell... Fifty deceived people believe that there ought to be. Charles J. Guiteau, if such is really his name, has fraud and imbecility plainly stamped upon his face. Man, like, when they wanted to dunk on somebody back then, they could pick them apart. <laughs> so basically, they said, hopefully hell exists so that this motherfucker can go there. Yeah, there's more. Let me continue. The, imp <laughs> the impudent scoundrel talked only 15 minutes and suddenly thanked the audience for their attention and bid them good night. Great. I, I love when I plan an evening for something that's 15 minutes. <laughs> Before the astounded 50... My ex-girlfriend, she would wish it would take more than 15 minutes, but that's a whole nother story. Go on. Before the astounded 50 had recovered from their amazement, he had taken their money and fled from the building and escaped. Yep, there's my boy. So this guy is billing himself as some sort of major preacher, theologian, lecturer, or something like that, convincing people that, you know, he is someone that people would want to see, booking these events, showing up, rambling for 10 to 15 minutes, and then taking off with the money. That's basically what's happening. I am Professor Dr. Esquire. Also, Jesus. Um, so that's my check over there? All right. I'll be seeing you. <laughs> that's basically what's happened. It's like saying, oh, hey, I'm going to pay money to go and see, like, you know, Ralph Nader speak or something like that. And then instead you show up and it's a guy in a zebra costume who talks about cheese puffs for 10 minutes and then leaves. I, isn't that what Ralph Nader essentially did? No. <laughs> That's not what Ralph Nader did. Where did that come from, sir? <laughs> Cheese puffs? I Actually, I have seen Ralph Nader speak. It was a very interesting lecture, and I didn't have to pay for it. No cheese puffs, though. No cheese puffs. He was actually talking about the American political system. No, it's doing fine. I trust it. <laughs> anyway, this is not about Ralph Nader. Let's continue on talking about Guiteau. No, fine. Okay, so his career as a theologian or preacher was not working out very well for him. That seems to be how most of his careers go. Yes. Now, he took a bit of a shift and decided to pivot from preaching into politics. Yep, why wouldn't you? <laughs> he took an interest in politics and he started to write speeches in favor of different politicians. And one of the politicians he wrote a speech in favor of was Ulysses S. Grant. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So he's just like sending fan mail or? Well, what he's doing is now you have to keep in mind the environment at the time. Uh, offices of political representatives in the United States at the time were usually quite open and people could go directly to those offices and petition them. This is, of course, before, you know, telephones are a major thing before the Internet. So it was perfectly acceptable to line up for an appointment 
to see political representatives or to offer your services to them or something like that. So he started pestering the Republican Party to let him be uh, a campaigner for them is what he was doing. So he's begging for a job. Okay, gotcha. Uh, It's not that he was begging for a job, but he was begging for the ability to campaign for them, which he hoped would result in a job. So, like, he's trying to become an influencer. Yeah, basically, right? Now, the political situation at the time was the Republican Party was a little bit split. Uh, There were some people who wanted to end patronage posts, and there were some people who wanted to set up a permanent civil service. It's all a lot of boring politics, but basically... The, the point is is that some people wanted Ulysses S. Grant to run for a third term, and there were other people who wanted James G. Blaine to be the new party nominee. All right. Well, they clearly, uh, where we are now, whatever they did worked out great. <laughs> Eventually, so what uh, Guiteau basically did was he wrote this glorious speech, glorious in finger quotes there, Garfield, or sorry, Grant versus Hancock. So basically, Grant against Hancock. The, the point is he wrote this big speech in support of Ulysses S. Grant. Now, the Republican Party, what they did, because nobody could agree on whether it should be James G. Blaine or Ulysses S. Grant for president, they eventually went with a compromise candidate. Yeah! James A. Garfield. Ah, I have heard of him. <laughs> well, we've mentioned him earlier in this uh, in this podcast. Now, Guiteau, he still wants to gain some influence, so he has to change his street for his uh, speech from Grant versus Hancock to Garfield versus Hancock. All right, and he just like writes over it with a sharpie and leaves everything else the same. Yes. Okay. That's exactly what he did. He basically took his speech, and anywhere where it said Grant, he crossed out Grant and replaced it with Garfield. (laughs) So there's, like, all sorts of things he's referencing that just are simply inaccurate now. Well, judging by his history, half of them were wrong to begin with. (laughs) This is exactly what I did. I'm not joking about this at all, because the whole speech was just basically talking about Ulysses S. Grant's accomplishments as president and as a general and things like that. And now it's the same speech, but with Garfield inserted where Grant was. So so he just went up the military ranks, like big time Garfield. He's like, shit, I don't remember doing all that. <laughs> well, Garfield was a general in the Civil War as well. I think not as memorably as Grant might have been. No, probably not. I would say Grant, you know, his accomplishments definitely outstripped those of Garfield's. I mean, shit, I know who he is. That means that he's kind of significant, because I don't know a goddamn thing. (laughs) Anyway, this speech was only delivered uh, at max twice. And then somebody was, like, making the throat slash motion in the corner, like, "Mm -mm -mm, (laughs) nope, 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 nope. Well, that's the thing. He basically harassed the Republican Party so much that eventually they said, okay, fine, go ahead and give your speech. They, they booked a couple sessions with it. The speech didn't make a whole lot of sense, and nobody really pursued it any further. Right. So he was like at like an anime convention. He was like in the booth in the far back, and they're like, all right, you can go do your little talk now. Yeah, yeah. He had one of like the little rooms, 
like off to the side, like not the one that everybody wants to go see, like the one that's discussing, you know, octopuses in episode 38 of whatever something, you know, like something really obscure. Yeah, the one that very few people go into and most of them, it's like they accidentally went to the wrong place and they're like, oh, sorry. (laughs) Anyway, so James Garfield eventually goes on to win the presidency. Yep, and it went great. Well, Charles Guiteau decided that the only reason that Garfield had become president was because of his speech. (laughs) Oh, I mean, it's nice to be modest. (laughs) So he immediately began a letter-writing campaign, as well as a harassment campaign of various political officials, uh, demanding, at first, to be given the consul in... um, in Vienna, uh, then eventually changing his mind and deciding that he would rather be posted to Paris. So he's just, he's initiating contact, and he's like, so, you're welcome, um, France, though. Yeah, yeah, and he's basically saying, like, look, like, of course. <laughs> he's basically saying, uh, look at all I've done for you, now make me ambassador to France. I'm gonna try that, I'm gonna write that son of a bitch today. <laughs> Well, I mean, you would probably have more luck uh, today with that than you would have uh, back then, because it seems that anyone who who basically stumps for for Trump or the Republicans now is rewarded with some sort of something. Yeah, I'm just like, hey, you're awesome. Can I have a job? Be like, absolutely. Right now, <laughs> start to absolutely. <laughs> Anyway, uh, it's important to note, too, here that the reason the Republicans were divided on things is because uh, there was a big debate about whether or not they should stop giving political positions as patronage and start doing it as like a permanent civil service. And James Blaine, who was originally uh, supposed to be the nominee for for the presidency, uh, he eventually ended up becoming secretary of state. Good for him. Yeah, so he's being harassed. Everyone in the administration is being harassed by Charles Gateau. Maybe not everyone, but quite a few people, James Blaine in particular, receiving letters upon letters upon letters. This guy is writing nonstop letters. So, uh, yeah, so he cray-cray. Yep, let's get to it. Yeah, so eventually uh, he starts stalking the schedules of various members of the administration, uh, eventually meeting James G. Blaine in person and explaining to him that, hey, you should be giving me the consulship in Paris. Uh, you know, I'm Charles Guiteau. And basically Blaine shouts at him. He snaps and he's like, don't talk to me about this again. You're not going to get the consulship. He, he, he basically says, quote, never speak to me again on the Paris consulship as long as you live. Yeah, so he comes up to him. He's like... I'm showing you I'm not crazy by knowing exactly where you're going to be. And then what he gets back is like, you're the asshole that's been writing those letters. Yep. And he got bitched out. Okay, cool. So anyway, it's at this point that uh, Charles Guiteau has decided that God has commanded him to kill the president. That's, I mean, that'll happen. Go do it. <laughs> He went to a gun shop and he bought a 44 Webley British Bulldog, which is a very sizable gun. Uh, he had to decide between a wooden handle and an ivory handle with silver inlay, which was a little bit more expensive. 
he bought the more expensive one because he decided it would look better in a museum. Oh, yeah, I mean, he is that jackass that, like, he'd put spinners on it if they had him. <laughs> so he basically knows or feels that he's doing some monumentous historical act. Uh, really, what he's doing is he's engineering a historical tragedy. I mean, he technically correct that people going to be talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to point out, though, that uh, the revolver that he bought was eventually lost. So it's not in any museum. Ah, so even fuck that up. All right, cool. <laughs> so basically, he starts gleaning the um, the president's schedule from newspapers and reports and things like that. And he starts basically stalking the president, looking for him when he's going to be at different railway stations and different public events. Good. More normal behavior. Yes. Uh, at one point, he got very close to the president, but he decided not to shoot him at that point because he was with his wife at the time, and his wife seemed in ill health, and he didn't want to upset her. Because on a normal day, when you blow her husband's fucking head off, she's going to be like, well, my stomach doesn't hurt, so like, I mean, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> on the 2nd of July, 1881... He was waiting for the president to show up at a railway station. He got his shoe shined. He paced around for a bit. And then he arranged for a cab to take him to prison afterwards. (laughs) That's an interesting move. (laughs) You would think that would set off alarm bells, too. Like, maybe the cab driver would be like, hey, you know, this guy has just said that he needs me to take him to jail in a little bit. Uh, okay, so I thought that he was just setting up a ride. He was setting up a ride that he told the dude, like, yeah, we're going to jail. Yeah. Like, he told him that part. It, it seems that way. From everything I've read, it actually seems that he told the guy, I'm going to need you to take me to prison in a bit. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> I love this guy. I, I don't think he said why. I don't think he said, I'm going to go kill the president and I'm going to need you to take me to jail. But he just told him, like, be ready to take me to jail. I mean, he, he still implied that, like, shit's about to be popped. It's like I said, it's like you'd think that would raise alarm bells. Be like, hey, this, you know, is there no cop walking around? Be like, this guy just wants me to take him to prison in a bit? Yeah, I would be curious. President Garfield arrives at the station, or enters the station, actually, uh, looking forward to a vacation with his wife. And uh, Charles Guiteau steps behind him and shoots at him twice, the, the second bullet uh, lodging in his back. Got him! Charles uh, Guiteau basically announced, I am the stalwart of stalwarts. Arthur is president now. God, even when he kills somebody, he's going to be a jackass about it. <laughs> now, something I haven't mentioned, uh, the, stalwart, the stalwarts were a faction of the Republican Party, uh, basically the people who had supported Ulysses S. Grant for a third term. So basically he's siding with Grant now, and Arthur, of course, is the vice president under Garfield. So Arthur would have ascended to the pre or would ascend to the presidency after that. So this is basically what he's declaring. And I'm sure that group really loved him, name dropping him. Like, no, no, no we didn't. We didn't do that. <laughs> it probably didn't look too good. Although I think the Republican Party was pretty wise to the fact that this guy was crazy. Um, based on what? <laughs> everything he's done so far. Okay, fair. Uh, it was not a good thing for Garfield because, of course, Garfield, uh, it took him 80 days to die. Ooh. Yeah. That, so he was not having a great time. 
Uh, he wasn't. It's one thing I should point this out that a lot of medical experts have looked at um, the injuries that President Garfield sustained at the time. And they have basically said that, you know, this wound was survivable. It's probably more likely that he died from uh, septic shock uh, or, you know, infection because of all the doctors poking around in his body trying to get the bullet out. All right, sweet. <laughs> Medicine wasn't the best back then. This is the 1880s, of course. It's not the best now. It's not the best now, but even, like, if I had to choose a time period to be injured between now and then, I would certainly choose now. Yeah, now it just financially ruins you. Back then, you die. Okay, yes, I keep forgetting that you're American. Yeah, oh, I keep forgetting that other places you can get help if you're sick. <laughs> anyway, the main point is, is that, you know, the tragic now of course they didn't know this at the time there was no germ theory at the time but garfield could have likely survived the injuries if he hadn't been died from the secondary infection charles guiteau now <laughs> this is where his sort of arrogance gets really bonkers he wrote to the famous civil war general uh william t sherman uh i have just shot the president i shot him several times as i wished him to go as easily as possible his <laughs> How'd that go? <laughs> he took him 80 days to die. Uh, his death was a political necessity. I am a lawyer, theologian, and politician. I am going to the jail. Please order out your troops and take possession of the jail at once. Okay, so he thought that he was just going to get locked up for this and, like, have the cavalry come in and, like, carry him off on their shoulders. He was completely convinced that the American public was 100% on board with him, that they loved him, that they adored him for what he did. And, and no one is even really sure where he got this notion, right? Because Garfield and the Republicans were, were popular at that time. And there, there's no reason for him to think he would have been seen as a hero. But he fully believed that he was leading a revolution here, that he was like some sort of populist or something. Well, that's kind of disappointing. <laughs> I'm sure he agreed. Yeah. Uh, he became a sort of media darling. Like the newspapers were always running stories about him because during his trial, after Garfield died, they tried him for murder. And he was always doing things like swearing at the jurors, swearing at the judge, swearing at his lawyers, swearing at the prosecution. Uh, he, he basically made it into like some sort of a circus show. He could be president now. <laughs> he was particularly known for formatting his testimony in epic poems right so he would write these really long pieces of poetry and that would uh, be his testimony uh, <laughs> uh, uh, go ahead read one I, no, I'm not going to read any. I don't have any to read. I, I decided I'm not going to read any of them. Like, he would just show up and, like, start reading the Iliad or something? No, uh, no, no. He wrote these poems himself. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, I'm sure those things are just brutal. Uh, I encourage people like, to look them up. I, I didn't find any of them myself because I was like, no, I can't be bothered to read epic poems on the podcast. But I will link to all my sources in the description. If you want to Google his poems, go ahead. But they're, they're, they're not fun. I read a little bit of them. I'm just picturing like, you've heard of Cotton Mather? No. Okay. 
Oh, old ass dude, like, when we first got here and started, you know, killing everybody and taking it, I wrote a bunch of shit that I'm just thinking about him right now, just so blowhardy, like, paragraphs starting with low exclamation mark. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Well, that that's basically what his testimony in court boils down to. Great. Anyway, uh, one other thing that he did that I thought was particularly funny and weird is that he would... Uh, ask for legal advice from spectators in the trial. Like he would pass notes to different people who were just there to watch the trial and ask them for legal advice. <laughs> so it's like he's just got the little thing that it's got like a box with yes and a box with no next to it. It's like, should I swear at them right now? And he just like hands it to Susie. <laughs> yes. While a lawyer, technically. Yes, yes. Uh, he did want to represent himself, but the judge ordered that, you know, he had to have legal representation. Uh, who knows how strange it could have been if he had just represented himself. It doesn't go well when smart people do it. <laughs> anyway, he was completely unaware of the American public outrage that was directed towards him, uh, even though he had two, he was almost assassinated himself twice. Just... He was convinced, uh, and he started to make plans for a lecture tour when he was released uh, from the trial because he fully believed that he would be acquitted. And he announced that he also planned to run for president in 1884. That is misguided. Very misguided. Uh, he was also convinced that uh, Vice President Arthur, who had moved to the presidency now, would be happy that he put him in the presidency and would pardon him. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be thrilled. <laughs> Job upgrade. <laughs> Sadly, this never happened, and he was pronounced guilty and sentenced to hang by the neck until dead. I can't believe they convicted him. Yeah, I know, eh? He just seems so innocent. <laughs> I mean, from the sounds of it, he must have been shocked. <laughs> uh, not shocked enough, because he wrote a poem to read uh, at his at the hanging. <laughs> so even at this point, he's like, nah, they're just fucking with me. Like, I'm going to be president. Uh, who, who knows what he thought at this point? It, it's clear that he was a little off his rails. Uh, he wrote an, another poem. Fair. <laughs> He wrote a poem called I Am Going to the Lordy, uh, which he requested to read at the gallows when he was hanged. That request was granted. His request to have an orchestra play as he sung the poem was denied. <laughs> That's the best thing he's done yet. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a fucking space cadet. That's so good, though. <laughs> Anyway, so his request for the orchestra was denied. He was allowed to read his poem. I'm not going to read it here. Look it up on the internet if you really want to read it. It's called I Am Going to the Lordy, which is a terrible title anyway. Uh, he also I shook... By the way, like, you've got to grant the orchestra at that point. Like, no matter how mad you are at this dude, you got to, when he asks for that, be like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do this shit. <laughs> I, I would have at least given him, like, a string quartet or something. Well, yeah, like a choir. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, apparently he also shook hands with the hangman uh, when he arrived at the gallows. <laughs> He's like, hey, what are you here for? 
anyway, because he had become such like sort of a weirdo in the public consciousness, uh, the pieces of his hanging rope were actually sold as souvenirs. And there was a huge demand for Charles Guiteau's souvenirs. So any sort of letters that he had written, notes that he had written, or anything to do with him, like pieces of the rope that hung him, uh, commanded high prices. Cool. Famous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not exactly the way he was going for. Yeah, not exactly, but famous nonetheless. Uh, they were so afraid that his body would be ripped to pieces and sold as souvenirs that they actually had to exhume his corpse. Basically, they donated it to science. Uh, his brain was stuck in a jar and uh, his skeleton was uh, bleached and an autopsy was performed and all types of things like this. Because they were like worried that people were going to make keychains out of his fingers? Something like that, yeah. I mean, that would be cool. <laughs> Basically, they were afraid because it seemed like there was a lot of people stalking around where his body was buried, and they're like, eh, maybe we should get his body out of here before we start having grave robbers. All right. Fair. <laughs> uh, to this day, you can still see his brain in a jar in a museum in Philadelphia. Well, no, you can't. You're not allowed to travel anywhere. But oh, it's okay. There. It's there. It's there. Absolutely. Uh, you can see pictures of his brain in a jar in the articles that I will link to in the show description. They put like a rainbow wig on the jar that the brand's in because they should. <laughs> I will definitely make that recommendation to <laughs> the Mutter Museum in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, get with the program. <laughs> Uh, many people have speculated what it was that Charles Guiteau suffered from that made him so crazy. Uh, a look at his brain in modern times has caused speculation that he might have had syphilis from all his interactions with prostitutes. Of course, this doesn't explain his bizarre behavior over many decades because syphilis only usually lasts about a few years. So many people have speculated that he is he was schizophrenic or something like that. Of course, it's very hard to diagnose someone from beyond the grave. Yeah, I mean, it does cause complications. Biscuit, what have we learned from this? Um, I learned that Abraham Lincoln got killed. Because <laughs> apparently I forgot about that shit. <laughs> and Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was an opening uh, case that nobody still talks about, so you can see me forgetting about it. Uh, maybe we should do the Kennedy conspiracies as an episode one day. There's a lot of them. That'd probably be a multi-parter. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't bother because usually they're like, well, I don't know. How crazy are they? Some of them are really crazy. They get pretty crazy, but like it's been done so many times. Like once once you get into like the space aliens and all that stuff, it's kind of like, oh, come on. Yeah, that's the fun stuff. <laughs> anyway, uh, other than that, do we have anything to plug? Um, not the adult-only joke book, <laughs> Ultimate Collection by Hank. If anyone else owns that book, yeah. If anyone else owns that book, get rid of it. Um, there's over 800,000 sold, so send an email with visual evidence if you have this piece of shit. Yes, and we will mention you on the show as a loser. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, like, 
Go ahead and find one of these things. Let's make them collecting <laughs> Jerry's. Uh, you, you know what? Uh, there's no need to go out and buy one because we will eventually read all of those jokes on the show. Uh, I'd like to remind people that you can tweet us at BigBadNonsense or email us at BigBadNonsense.com. We're available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. Biscuit, is there anything we want to mention before we go? Uh, I think we just did that. Biscuit, nudge, nudge, you wanted to mention something? Oh, God damn it. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> Good job. Wrestling's coming, wrestling's coming back here. My dog, Casto Valentine, going to be at IWA Mid-South. Um, fans bring the weapons. Really fun. Uh, go look at him on Twitter. You can go to that show. And if you bring him a dildo with a bunch of weird shit in it, you'll get a free t-shirt. That is awesome. If I lived in America, I would definitely bring a dildo for his free t-shirt. Yep. I mean, that that's a good exchange right there. You're going to have fun. It's a nice photo op. Uh, what, uh, um, his Twitter again is at CasanovaVal666. That is correct. That is correct. And what is the date of this event? I don't remember, but it's IWA itself, and he's tweeted about it. So if you go to his profile, you can find out all about that shit. Okay, hopefully I get this episode out before it happens. I'm assuming it's happening, like, within less than a week. Um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, it's it's great I, how you tweeted me. You, you wrote me a DM on Twitter. You're like, we have to make sure that we plug this. And then you forgot about it, and you don't even know when it is. Uh, I mean, that's pretty on brand. Yes, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pod people, it's great to know that you've been listening, and we wish you a pleasant day. Hopefully you're all having a good summer and that it's not too hot for you. Please avoid the coronavirus and stay safe. Bush did 9-11. Great. Now all you got to do is hold a phone to my head for an hour. Okay, cool. Well, that is typically how one talks on a phone. No, it ain't. <laughs> When's the last time you did that? I I never use speakerphone. Who uses speakerphone? Americans, motherfucker. Like those weird people who walk down the street, like having an open conversation to a phone in their hand that's at their yeah, waist. Just yelling at their baby mama and their baby mama's yelling back and you're just in the middle of the grocery store. Like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, that's Y'all weird. Y'all gotta hear about this. It's like, it's, it's bad enough hearing like one half of a conversation that's private while you're in a public space. It's even worse when you can hear like dis- distorted whatever from the other end. Yeah, it's super annoying, but again, Americans.